Caring for kittens is no easy feat. That's why we've partnered with the National Kitten Coalition to host the online kitten conference, a whole weekend of learning how to care and support the smallest and most vulnerable felines. Join us the weekend of June 10th through 12th. Details and registration are available now at the communitycatspodcast.com. You've tuned in to the Community Cats Podcast. Ready? Let's go. Welcome to the Community Cats Podcast. I am your host, Stacey LeBaron. I've been involved helping homeless cats for over 20 years with the Merrimack River Feline Rescue Society. The goal of this podcast is to expose you to amazing people who are improving the lives of cats. I hope these interviews will help you learn how you can turn your passion for cats into action. And today we're speaking with Dr. Sarah Pisano. Dr. Pisano is with Team Shelter USA, Open Door Veterinary Collective, as well as part of the Maddie's Million Pet Challenge. Welcome to the show, Dr. Pisano. Thank you so much. I appreciate the invitation. So Dr. Pisano has been on our show before. So if you're interested in finding out all about some of the projects that she's been working on in the past, feel free to go to our search bar on our website at Community Cats Podcast. Dot com and just put Pisano in the bar and everything is going to come up that we've referenced with the work that she's done in the past. But it had been a while since I've touched base with her. And so I wanted to first ask you for a bit of an update. I know you've worked with a lot of municipal organizations, um, especially in Ohio and Kentucky. Can you give me an update on sort of what what's been going on for community cats in that part of the country? Yeah, for sure. So yes, most of the shelters that I work with are municipal. I just actually um, put a spreadsheet together and I just did my 117th consult, um, 22 states. And Kentucky is so near and dear to my heart. The Joni Bernard Foundation that's based in Cincinnati has been sponsoring spay neuter we started a program in northern kentucky of eight counties gosh back in 2016-17 ended euthanasia for space everything's going great in northern kentucky and then the bluegrass district which is a, a district of 18 counties wanted to get involved so we now sponsor 13 counties in kentucky I started doing assessments and all the first year was just assessments to see, you know, what, what we should be doing. And that was 2019, Stacy. I just finished our annual report for 2021. Dan, I got to start with Danville Boyle County Humane Society. Shout out to them. When I met them the year before, they took in 908 cats They learned all about community cat programs and safety net and foster finder. Any guesses, Stacey, on 2021 intake of cats? Oh, 600? 19. Oh, my gosh. (laughs) 19. I was like, I called him. I go, is this a typo? Because this is amazing. And I'm like, wow, you really listened to me. Like, And when I look, you know, listen, district wide, we decreased intake by 38%. That's just 2020 to 2021. And just in those years, decreased euthanasia 85%. So the district is doing amazing. And most of the shelters did decrease intake, but holy cow, not like Danville Boyle. What? I, I was like, 
yes, you have arrived. You should speak on every webinar and podcast. So I'm really proud of them. And we got a lot of, yeah, really exciting work going on in in the Kentucky counties. What was their secret sauce based on your knowledge of working with them? Yeah, I mean, it was all the old fashioned way. It was starting with animal control, stop taking in the healthy community cats. They got a $20,000 spay neuter grant from PetSmart Charities for the first year. So we added some money to that. Then don't bring in those kittens. Um, ask, you know, if they can't be returned to their moms, ask those finders to foster them. Um, and it was really the transition, Stacy. that's most important is why are you bringing those community cats into the shelter at all when they're healthy? They should go directly to spay neuter. So that's the transition, right, that we're trying to make. And they've done it just so beautifully. And let me tell you, there's bumps in the road. Like, you know, there's been challenges along the way. And every year they decreased intake, decreased intake. And then all of a sudden, you know, their team just said, hey, we're going to do it. And, and even though they had been doing well each year, this is like... Nobel Prize winning, right? In the cat world, to me, because those cats did, they got help other ways. So there are some people out there that might say, oh, well, they got all this funding from a foundation and therefore that's why they were able to make the changes. You know, what do you say when someone approaches you with that? Yeah. So that's a great question. And the thing is that, remember, we didn't give them funding for Foster Finder. We didn't give them funding to transition cats to spay-neuter. We gave them the funding just for the spay-neuter of community cats and gave them the tools and the knowledge. So I think, yes, the funding probably helped them get there quicker, but we try to convince every municipality. Now, mind you, this is a humane society working out of the county building. So they already are in partnership, right? But we always try to convince the municipality to subsidize spay-neuter because it decreases intake and those animals aren't born. So it is a proactive way to be more fiscally responsible. So absolutely, it could have happened without our help. It's happening, Stacey, in thousands of other communities, right, that we're not in. So, But it's so nice getting that spay-neuter funding, isn't it? Oh, it's great. It's a wonderful carrot for every community to have, for, for sure, definitely. I just also want to touch upon an interesting model that that you really, I don't know, sort of launched or or got going, at least in my mind, was if you are a municipal organization looking for funding, you don't have to say, oh, well, I'm I'm not a 501c3, so I have no chance at funding. You utilize the community foundation model as a way to help bridge some of those funding gaps to help with like a public-private partnership to be able to get funding into communities. So, you know, if there is a municipal organization out there and saying, oh, well, I can't get funding because I'm not a nonprofit, you've worked on some ways around that. Oh, for sure. And listen, though, remember when I was director in 2005 at a public shelter, like we didn't have opportunities, right? It used to be only for nonprofits. That is absolutely no longer the case. So national funders are giving to municipalities And then like you alluded to, community foundations. So there are so many opportunities now. The other thing that we really want people to look at is social services. So are there programs like perhaps Meals on Wheels that can be intertwined? Like they know that 
people, a lot of times were giving their own food to their pets first, right? So Animals was born out of that. So we have to look at all these different creative ways to partner, but there are a whole heck of a lot of opportunities for municipal shelters now, for sure. So I want to talk about some of these really cool, new, innovative programs, things you've been working on since we had our last chat. So veterinary shortage, we all have heard this phrase, veterinarians are so many of them are, are moving out of the workforce for a variety of different reasons. They're either retiring, they've got work-life balance issues, there's compassion fatigue issues. So we have a veterinary shortage. And then there are also some things that you're involved with that are trying to encourage the growth of more clinics out there. So tell us a little bit about both of those issues. Sure. So the veterinary shortage is multifactorial, right? So I do think that Work-life balance has been a major issue, in particular when, we, when we're talking about 90% of the vets coming out of vet school are women. So this is now a very heavily dominated, and since 1985, it was 50-50 male-female. Since 1985, that's gone up and up and up, and now it's 90%, right? However, the industry hasn't recognized that these are also women coming out of their DVM program at 26, right? I happen to be 30. I went a little bit later, but this is when then women are starting families. So there's not been, in my opinion, enough respect for making sure that work-life balance was there, that making sure there's ways that we're keeping those women engaged while they're on maternity leave and all of those things. I think that's a big issue. And then of course we have corporate that is competing with our nonprofits. So it's incredibly difficult to attract veterinarians who are now coming out of school, Stacey, you know, $200,000 of that, $300,000 in debt. I mean, it's, it's, a, it's an unheard of. It's, I, I just really feel for them. So one of the, there's lots of different things happening on all different kinds of levels um, around the country. One is there's academics looking at developing that layer between a vet tech and a vet, just like a nurse practitioner, right? So there's all kinds of work being done in that respect. The Open Door Veterinary Collective is actually a training program. It's a nonprofit and we just started last year, but it was the birth child of two hospitals that were open, one in Toledo, Ohio, and one in Asheville, North Carolina. The goal is to open two for-profit clinics that also provided access to care. And the founders wanted to prove this model and they did gangbusters. They proved it up and down. It's net, they're net profiting with potential to do even better than private practice. So how does this tie into the vet shortage? Very much directly. So I've not spent my career in private practice, mostly because I probably know myself. And if somebody said they couldn't afford it, I would just pay for them. And that's not a sustainable model, right? So I couldn't eat and <laughs> pay my rent. So um, the veterinary, the open door concept is the clinic gets paid and the client might chip in or always chips in. But then there's other financial support systems in place. Maybe it's as simple as a payment plan that people can pay, they just can't pay all at once. Maybe they don't qualify for care credit. Maybe there's a voucher from a nonprofit. Here in Asheville, it's from the Humane Society, right? So there's a menu of ways to help. 
And that matters to the veterinarians. I did per diem there a couple of months ago and just yesterday, as a matter of fact, but a couple of months ago, I saw a dog with incredibly painful ears and I basic, basic exam, the Claro to stay in there for a month, the pain meds, right? $130, basic, basic. I can't say we can't do one or the other, right? Because they're both so important. And the woman said, I only have $40. I said, no problem. Let's see how we can help you. And we got that sub, that, that um, difference subsidized Stacy. So I was able to say to her, don't worry, we're going to get your dog the help that they need. Do you know how that made me feel as a veterinarian? I mean, no veterinarian wants to send that dog out of the door, out the door with no help. Right. So I think this is something that speaks to not just the enormous access to care issue, which is not just poor people or people living under the poverty level. It's most Americans that 80% live paycheck to paycheck. Right. And, you know, accessibility. I mean, there are a lot of uh, veterinarians out there that aren't taking new clients. So it's, as you said, it's not all about the money. It's about your location. It's about just what your marketplace is like in the region that you're at, for sure. Yeah. I want to actually just mention one quick thing too, because for so long, all of us in nonprofits have been trying to do everything for everyone and raising money to give free services. There's no way this model can be supported by nonprofits alone. It has to become the fabric of the veterinary practice industry. There are 30,000 plus veterinary clinics in the United States. There's a couple thousand nonprofit clinics, right? If that. Um, So This is something that we want. It's not that we want to open more clinics. We want private practices to transition to this model. So it's a redefinition, really. Yes. And sort of changing it to a more collaborative type clinic that's good for the staff as well as for the clients and the community itself. So absolutely. Really very, very interesting and very exciting. And I think certainly as a business model, veterinarians and staff would want to be part of it because I hear the phrase compassion fatigue used often. And, you know, what is compassion fatigue and and how is it impacting our industry, if you want to use that phrase? Yeah. And I think, um, listen, over the years, the reasons we've suffered from compassion fatigue has changed. Because I remember when I started 30 years ago, if I saw empty cages, I knew everyone was euthanized. And, you know, that was heavy and is still heavy on my heart. Fast forward now, we're not euthanizing for spate, right? I think we're in the 80s, upper 80s in terms of national save rate, if I'm not mistaken. Bestfriends.org has all those great numbers on their dashboard. Um, We're doing better than ever. But then remember what's happening. Now we're dealing with animals with more serious medical issues, more serious behavioral issues. So that's challenging in a different way, right? Um, And then just the, I mean, I think social media, I know a lot of people have said this, social media is a blessing and a curse. The internet is a blessing and a curse. And so as veterinarians, it's incredible. And as a shelter director or worker, it, you feel like you're with a, a dog with a shock collar and you don't know when you're going to get shocked next, because what if something, somebody says something, it doesn't matter if it's true or not. Right. And it goes viral on Facebook in a very negative way. This has ruined people's careers. 
you know? So I think there's always that, you know, fear and that leads to compassion fatigue. So I think there's just so much, there's so much noise in the world that's, that really holds us back from doing our best work. Um, and you know what, we just should be kind to each other and work together, right? Agreed. Agreed. Ever wanted to quickly connect, collaborate, or problem solve with others in the animal welfare field who are, you know, real people? Look no further than Maddie's Pet Forum. Maddie's Pet Forum brings people of animal welfare together with the common goal to keep more people and pets together. We share ideas, expertise, offer each other support, resources, and more. Visit forum.maddiespetforum.org slash cats. Maddie's Pet Forum. Come for an answer. Stay for the community. Could your animal welfare organization use a tune-up? Humane Network can help. You can get a free 30-minute consultation to talk through your challenges and get ideas on how your organization can be more successful with less stress. From board development and fundraising to strategic planning and operations, Humane Network has got you covered. Whether you are a large or small, nonprofit or government, it's a live and thriving program led by a certified animal behavior consultant features specially designed training for shelter and clinic staff on enrichment, stress reduction, safe animal handling, and behavior modification. With Humane Network, you receive individualized advice and support customized to meet your organization's unique needs. And Humane Network can lighten your load by taking on fundraising, communications, and other tasks you struggle with. Contact Humane Network today for a free 30-minute consultation. Visit humanenetwork.org. That's humanenetwork.org. Team Dubert is at it again, and now they have an amazing companion case management module that once again revolutionizes how you rescue animals. Dubert partnered with Dallas Pets Alive and the Spay-Neuter Network to build a powerful solution that allows you to manage cases of any kind. Whether owner surrender calls or emails, community cat tracking and reporting, Dubert is the only system that integrates two-way text messaging, automatic follow-ups, and even a rehoming solution that every organization can use. No more trying to manage 10 different technologies when everything is all in one place and tightly integrated. From fostering to transport, fundraising to e-commerce, supply and demand to case management, Dubert has everything you need to streamline your operations so you can focus on saving more animals. Check out the new companion case management module at www.dubert.com CCM and get signed up today. So you're part of a campaign called from uh, Maddie's Million Pet Challenge. Can you tell me a little bit about that? Yes. So Maddie's Million Pet Challenge, your listeners will know this is the evolution of the Million Cat Challenge. So the Million Cat Challenge has been incredibly successful, more than 3 million cats saved. And Maddie's funding was when, you know, coming to an end. And so along with UC Davis and UF, Team Shelter USA, which is me, and Open Door Veterinary Collective, which is Amy St. Arnaud is the founder and Heather Kinesis is on our team too. We all went to Maddie's and said, hey, how about the, our four teams work together? So when we do assessments, well, we've always done assessments with million cat challenges for dogs too, don't tell anybody, but so our consults are still holistic, but they also include an access to care piece. So shelters and organizations could apply for our services, which is either a shelter consult or an open door mentorship to help you open this type of clinic. 
We also have special programs. What if you only needed help with community cap programs or just with adoptions, or you just were interested in online training? Learniverse is the program now it, um, part of boot camp, and it's called Learniverse, which I love. And so it's our four teams just seeing like, hey, how can we help everybody? So there's pro bono opportunities on there. And you can apply at maddiesmillionpetchallenge.org or just read about us. Hashtag thanks to Maddie's, of course. Hashtag thanks to Maddie's. Yes. I want to take a step back to the Open Door Veterinary Collective just to find out specifically what are the services that you're offering. But there used to be, now I'm saying many years ago, which to me feels like yesterday, you know, we had the Humane Alliance clinics that used to get developed, you know, and there was a big run where we were all designing all of these spay neuter clinics sort of all around the country. Now with the Open Door Veterinary Collective, is that the same type of goal with the hopes that um, the program will scale up and we'll have clinics like this all around the country? And, and if so, do they reach out to the collective, to, to Amy and to uh, Heather to find out you know, how they can be part of it? Well, Stacey, I didn't even tee you up for that question. So thank you so much for asking that. Because guess what? Amy and Heather are from the Humane Alliance team. So they were originally on that team. And that's kind of how, so they said, okay, we're going to first step one, prove the model works. They did that check. Toledo and Asheville clinics, amazing. And so once they did that, yeah. So their goal was we will be like training centers, but really we want to go help other clinics, again, for-profit, non-profit government. We want to help them implement this model. So with Maddie's Million Pet Challenge, you could be granted a pro bono mentorship, and that might be also in your community with a shelter men, um, consult, which is our ultimate goal, right? So we can create this amazing little animal welfare utopia system. Or if that wasn't, you weren't ready or what have you, opendoorconsults.com is where you would go to find out about hiring the team to do the mentorship. So there's different avenues and it's no different than team shelter. So you can hire me directly as team shelter, or you may be granted an assessment or a consult through Maddie's Million Pet Challenge and get me pro bono. For those of our listeners that are out there and they're really just focused on like trapping one cat at a time out in their backyard, in their neighborhood, you know, for our community cat trappers, the way we've gotten into this business is one step at a time. You know, for me, it was a bag of cat litter and cat food was the first step. And then I realized I needed to do more and I needed to do more. And that's probably happening with a lot of folks. So say there's a trapper out there and it's like, you know, I'd really like to have more spay neuter in my community. You know, is it possible for them to take it to the next level or to be able to dream to do this? Is it possible for an individual to really you know, take their passion for cats and turn it into action. Absolutely. And you know what? People are so creative. So I didn't make up any of this stuff, but I can just think about these different things that are happening in different locations. And I'll give you an example. Woodstock Animal Foundation is a spay-neuter clinic in Lexington, Kentucky. This place is about this big. Well, nobody can see me, but it's tiny, right? So I went in there, I go, you're doing how many surgeries a year? Like they are cranking out surgeries there, okay? But in Kentucky, 
in surrounding counties, there was a lot of need. So they said, you know what? We're, so we're going to keep doing surgery in our clinics, but we're going to go to Estelle County, population 15,000. They have no services. They have no spay neuter. Part of their, and actually I'll share this video with you of their shelter was in kind of stuck in a warehouse. And you know what this group did? They said, um, we're just going to raise money and buy some surgery tables. Team Shelter bought them a surgery table, going to get some machines, going to get those packs. They go to 10 or 12 rural communities and they set up a day-long spay-neuter blitz, if you will. So that was just something that the director just said, you know, we're going to do this. So can, heck yeah, can one person do it? Yes, one person can get it started. And guess what? You don't have a full-time vet. Maybe you find five vets that can do a day each. And listen, if you're doing cats, like most veterinarians are like, what? You want me to do 90 pound female Rottweilers all day? Like, heck no. But if you say all cats, then they're like, oh, that's easy peasy, right? So there's all kinds of creative ways to get it done. And don't think like, oh, I have to open a giant spay neuter clinic and staff it with 10 vets. You don't. You, you got to, and now you just got to piece it together. Yeah, I was talking with some folks earlier today. I was just saying, you know, you could just set it up to just neuter cats, right? Yeah. To get as many cats, if, if resources are tight, get as many cats done as you can in a day. If, if you do them all neuters, then you're golden, yeah. right? You, you yeah. can do a lot. And if volume is your issue, it will make an impact. Neutering those boy cats will make an impact in the Absolutely. community. So it's, it's very interesting trying to think strategically too, because, you know, resources being limited, thinking outside of the box, different models for different areas. And you've had a lot of experience with regards to that going forward. Anything else that you want to share with our listeners today that, um, you know, you've seen happen through, I don't think we've talked since COVID. So anything that's changed dramatically with COVID, we've got the whole foster thing that we've gone through with within sheltering. You've gotten involved in a lot of the, the national movements, you know, so how do you feel like animal welfare has changed during this period of time? Well, you know, and remember, I published the best practice playbook in 2018. So that's available on Amazon and it's an ebook now, which is on Amazon and Apple. And, you know, when the when COVID hit, I was like, oh, no, is the playbook now like obsolete? But thank God, you know, what I saw and look at Haas, like to me, Haas is the playbook come to life because it's all the same principles. So I feel like so many shelters, it was, it was, they were given permission and confidence to say, wait, we have to do business differently. And to me, in many respects, it worked beautifully. This was not intended to, um, uh, shift a burden of animal care to anybody else at all. It was to engage our communities and get everybody involved. So I think we, we learned so many amazing lessons. And I think as tragic as the pandemic continues to be, it was the best wake up call for animal welfare that could have ever happened, in my opinion. We still have a long way to go, obviously, but yeah, I hope people learn because there's so many great resources online to learn about, but check us out at maddiesmillionpetchallenge.org and opendoorconsults.com. Not to mention my own, why me and I forgot my own is teamshelterusa.com. <laughs> 
So um, you mentioned Haas, and a lot of people don't know what Haas is. What is Haas? Haas is what started in the very beginning of the pandemic is many of us at the national level, like deers in a headlight. What the heck is happening? What the heck are we going to do in shelters? How will it affect? And right. Remember, we didn't know how it was going to affect. So it was just like a bunch of us getting on a call once a week saying, what's happening? What's the latest research? We have an infectious disease specialist telling us this, that, and the other thing. And then Maddie's just recognized this as such an important way for us to communicate that it became the human animal support services.org with amazing zoom calls and hundreds of experts um, leaning in and saying, we can do this. Let's transition to a community foster based system as opposed to a shelter, archaic, broken system as in shelter intake. So it's just been an amazing movement and I'm really excited about it. Yeah, and I think that one of the things about Haas that they're trying to do is be as inclusive as possible. You know, they have calls on Mondays, they have a bazillion and a half committees, and then they have these calls on Fridays for leadership but I believe their Monday calls are pretty much open to anybody. So if there's anybody who you know is is out there and is interested in learning about what's going on in animal welfare, if you have a desire to maybe even have a job in animal welfare, there's plenty of opportunities out oh, there. Yes. If you're what they call a sector switcher, if you're like in the for-profit space and you want to think about coming into management and the nonprofit space, it's a good place to check those things out too, because we, we want more, more folks out there, you know, working in our programs and sometimes hiring for positions. Like we were just talking with veterinarians. We didn't even get into veterinary technicians positions. There's a lot of shortages out there as there is, you know, all across the board. But, you know, I think we're having some open conversations in the in at the Haas level about those. And they've been pretty open about bringing in different topics for sure. And I've certainly enjoyed them over the we're what 18 months or we're approaching almost more than 18 months, two years, I guess now. Almost two years. And, you know, Cece, I mean, I'm I'm asked to speak. I'm considered an expert. I'm an author. I'm on those calls and I'm like, wow, that was a great idea. You know, just like the most creative solutions to these really hard problems. So I want to just say, what, what, what's everyone else doing? You know, because really, I'm just, I can't believe the, the creativity that's come out of such a tragedy. Yeah. Yep. And I certainly hope that we will have a lot of pivoting organizations, you know, a vet hospital operating one way, maybe he's changing to this new style, which is, would be really, you know, dramatic rather than having to create everything from scratch, sort of having the giant pivot, which would be really nice too, or repurposing maybe also, um, because I have heard about clinics that have, haven't been able to find a buyer you know, because they already, they've, they've already been squeezed out of the market. And there's some, so there's some vet practices that have just had to close down um, because there's too much other kinds of competition in the neighborhood, so to speak. So there, there are just a lot of interesting challenges out there in, you know, in the whole space, but for us in the veterinary and animal welfare space, for sure. You shared our, the contact information. Any last thoughts you'd like to share with folks that are listening to the show today? Yes, I would. Um, So I I don't know that there's a community where spay-neuter is not an issue. 
I was just in a shelter in California, Stacy. A cat spay or neuter was a two-week wait, and a dog spay or neuter was a four-week wait. And so keeping them in the shelter is not the answer. So not bringing in those community cats that are healthy, we have to not bring them into the shelter for them to be stressed. And that means friendly or um, unsocialized. And that's been a a hard pill to swallow. It's been hard for me. Oh my gosh, we're not going to spay neuter them. But we do not have the capacity right now in most communities. And therefore, plan A is not the shelter. So it is the norm now that shelters for dogs, they're doing foster to adopt, but you just can't bring those community cats into the shelter unless they have a spay neuter pathway. And I know that's been tough for people. So I just want to tell you, you're not alone, but it is the right thing to do to wait for that spay neuter appointment. It's great. Excellent. Well, thank you so much for catching up today, Dr. Pisano. I want to thank you again for agreeing to be a guest on the show. And I hope we'll have you on again in the future. Thank you, Stacey. I appreciate it. That's it for this week. Please head over to Apple Podcasts and leave a review. We love to hear what you think, and a five-star review really helps others find the show. You can also join the conversation with listeners, cat caretakers, and me on Facebook and Instagram. And don't forget to hit follow or subscribe on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, YouTube, Stitcher, or wherever you listen to podcasts so you don't miss a single show. Thanks for listening, and thank you for everything that you do to help create a safe and healthy world for cats. Wow.